You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Setting the stage for what should be an incredible game, too, here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA for SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. And you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, though, please follow our show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you get notified about every single episode that goes up so you do not miss a thing. But it is game two morning. I'm sure uh, still riding high off the vibes of Game 1, but this schedule is coming heavy and fast this year. And joining me to talk about Game 2, give us an update from the Clippers' side of things, is Sabrina Merchant, who also covers all things L.A. sports for SB Nation. Sabrina, you are in Phoenix covering this series. How was your experience in the building for Game 1? Phoenix Suns Arena is pretty cool, not going to lie. I had a great time uh, on the road for the first time at an NBA game since this pandemic started so always a win and then they had tag team at halftime which like I could not have been happier (laughs) who could complain it was so much fun they were a delight they they humored they humored all of us with a rendition straight from their uh I mean honestly Mm -hmm. legendary commercials I think it's fair to say at this point with the scoop there it is and sprinkles included so um, yeah, good, good vibes all around. What, what were your quick takeaways from the game? We just got off of, or you just got off of Clippers media availability. So we're going to dive into all the updates injury wise and some on-court adjustments we might see and all the rest. But, um, I know what I took away from game one. I yammered into a microphone about it already, but I would love to hear your thoughts coming from having watched this Clippers team all season. Yeah, so the Clippers seem very comfortable with game one being a feel-out game in this series, uh, as it has been in their previous two series in the postseason thus far. Uh, Obviously, they had an incredibly short turnaround, having played in game six against Utah on Friday night, and then having to travel to Phoenix and play in game one on Sunday. They're a little bit shorthanded without Kawhi Leonard and without Serge Ibaka, who has been rolled out for the rest of the postseason. So I was expecting them to be a little bit flat, you know, not having their legs and their jumpers quite as much as you might hope for from this Clippers team, which is a historically great shooting team, honestly. So nothing about their offensive performance was altogether surprising. I mean, this reminded me a lot of their game one against Utah, where they just were a little undisciplined in terms of their defensive schemes. They made a few more mistakes than you would hope for. Um, And then, you know, the, Suns had the best player on the court in Devin Booker, and that was basically enough to carry them to a win when the Clippers only had three players in double figures. And if you had told me that one of them was going to be DeMarcus Cousins, I could have told you before the start of the game that this was not going to end in a victory (laughs) for L.A. So, yeah, um, nothing all too surprising. I didn't really expect the Clippers to come out with a game one victory. Um, It also does not shock me that they came so close because I do think that this is a pretty good matchup for them. But, yeah, it's... This, this team is just a little hobbled, and hopefully they look closer to their full selves on Tuesday evening. But, yeah, uh-huh. I, I think this just felt like a game that Phoenix had more time to prepare for, that obviously were more focused in their game planning, and they looked the part on Sunday. 
They did. And, you know, Devin Booker was the best player in the game. And with the margins as tight as they can be in these, you know, later round series, I do think it's overly simple, but also pretty accurate to say that he was the primary difference in this game. I mean, three-point shooting, which you highlighted, was fairly even. It it definitely evened out even more in the fourth quarter, which was a problem for L.A. Mm -hmm. Rebounding, you look, numbers-wise, I mean, the Suns are going to be really happy to to be where they were, but statistically, pretty even. Like, it was a fairly closely played game throughout, and obviously the Suns come out with just a six-point win. But some of what you said there, whether it is the (laughs) very long stint of DeMarcus Cousins 13 minutes in a game one of a Western Conference Finals in 2021 13 minutes Brendan it (laughs) felt longer (laughs) I thought the 13 was uh hours yeah I'm not sure but he he played a lot I don't think that will continue but all of it all of it lends itself to and you compared it to the other game ones all this different stuff um that Ty I, I feel like any of us would killed to have the confidence that he seems to have and well-earned a championship coach a team in this Clippers team that has just done it twice by coming back from deficits in seven game series but um what did what did we see play out over the first two series of this playoff run that can maybe inform how Ty will approach the rest of this series and to the best of your knowledge understanding that we are doing this via zoom and everything else why does he have that astounding level of confidence in this team when you know it's such a risky thing to to kind of play loose with things to start off a series this way all all excellent questions uh i think it's really instructive to compare this game one to the one against utah because those were both played on short rest where the other team had a much longer time to prepare for the clippers whereas you know the clippers had just won their series two days earlier and then had to travel and go on the road for game one. Um, The Dallas one was a little bit different to me just because they had the week off after the end of the regular season. There was no reason for them to be unrested and yet they just didn't have the pop that Dallas did. So I'm going to think more about the Utah game. Uh, The similar situation happened in that opening matchup against the Jazz where Ty Lue just didn't think that he could afford to stretch his players after the gauntlet that they'd had just endured in the previous round. So he played a much deeper rotation than you'd expect. I think he went 11 deep in that game against Utah where you saw DeMarcus Cousins cameo. You know, you saw extended Luke Kennard minutes, a lot of Rondo, a lot of Pat Beverly, who to that point had been like banished from the rotation against Dallas. Uh, interestingly, not a lot of Terrence Mann, which I hope will happen more <laughs> as the series progresses because uh, the Clippers just look I don't know, more complete when Terrence Mann is on the court, especially in the absence of Kawhi Leonard. So yeah, this, this rotation roulette that we sort of saw against the Suns in game one is very like indicative of what happened in that game one against Utah, where it just was unreasonable to expect Nicholas Batum to play heavy minutes after he'd already gone deep in that game six against Utah. And it's unreasonable to expect Paul George to get to like that 44 minute mark that Devin Booker hit when he had to do everything he did in games five and six against Utah. And yeah, you know, they realized they might give this game away if they didn't play their best guys, the heaviest minutes, but they also realized that this is a seven game series, right? And the Clippers haven't just come back from deficits in the previous two series. They came back from 2-0 deficits in the previous two series. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that this is right where they want to be. Obviously, no one wants to lose game one in a series. Your odds of winning the series are astoundingly better if you win game one. But they don't feel uncomfortable, you know, 
having this feel out point in the series. And I think a lot of that is because they feel confident in their ability to make adjustments. I mean, we saw this against Dallas where, you know, Patrick Beverly went away and we got more Rondo. We got more Terrence Mann, bigger guys who could contend with Luka Doncic and who were able to switch. They ended up going small by game three of that series, uh, pretty much only using Zubac when Doncic wasn't on the court. And then went away from all those principles at the start of the Utah series and started to come back again, right? Like the guard rotation shrunk down where this time Rondo was excised and Patrick Beverly got to play more because defending Donovan Mitchell was more his speed. And once again, like the big lineups went away and DeMarcus Cousins, who had moonlighted in Salt Lake City for a couple of games, didn't take the court for the rest of the series. And you saw um, Zubac pretty much only align with Derek Favors or when Donovan Mitchell was off the court. So, and then... We also saw defensive adjustments like how high they picked up Donovan Mitchell when he came across half court or the way they switched and their uh, doubles late in the clock against Mitchell. So all of these adjustments came later in the series. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, the the Clippers were focused on Utah up until Friday at 10 p.m., right? And as great as this coaching staff is, and I trust that Dan Craig and Chauncey Billups and Sean Fine and all these guys had looked ahead a little bit to Phoenix, right? Because how could you not? their preparation just could not possibly be on the same level as what Monty Williams and his staff had for the Clippers, you know, just because of the time that they had. So I expect the game plan to tighten up as the series goes along. And there is just so much confidence to be gained from these previous series where the Clippers have, you know, defied the odds to come back from 2-0 both times. And like you said, Ty Lue, like, it's so funny to me because uh, they they go down 2-0 to Dallas, having lost both of their games at home. Uh, Reggie Jackson comes to the press conference wearing this like emoji shirt that says no worries. And uh, Ty Lue is like smiling and saying, this is his happy place. He loves the postseason. Uh, this is the situation they wanted to be in. And you're just like, this feels like a load of BS. Like, I don't understand how you guys are this happy. Um, but they were, they really like enjoy the challenge that comes from having to figure out an opponent and just being in the situation in the Western conference finals. Like, of course they're happy because the Clippers have never been here before. So sure. I guess sure. that there's just a confidence that comes from having done it. And like, we didn't get to talk to too many of the players after the game yesterday, but DeMarcus cousins was one of the ones who came out for zoom. And like, he basically was asked several times, like if he felt that the Clippers would look better as a series went along. And he just said again and again, like, we'll adjust, don't worry, we'll adjust. And how could you not believe that at this point? Sure. I mean, I think that's the thing um, that I think, you know, there's a million aspects of a series and I hate to just always talk in terms of not getting enough attention. I don't really love that phrase, but I think it's true in this case, which is the experience deficit we thought the Suns would be at against the Lakers. And it didn't really play out that way because that team, I don't think, knew itself well enough, but also Mm -hmm. was forced into having to adjust with Davis going down, of course. Um, it didn't really play out that way. It wasn't a fully healthy both sides type of matchup. So those things didn't end up mattering. But in this series, I mean, the least experienced player is obviously Terrence Mann. But besides that, you're talking about guys who have like literally probably like 100 years of experience in the NBA when you go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like decades of of intel about how to do this. So I think that helps. And I think it'll continue to play itself out that way. But you can't talk about adjustments or what we could see in the future without talking about this Marcus Morris situation. So we'll do that right after a quick break. First, though, I wanted to tell everybody 
about the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. We do this every week. It is brought to you by our friends at Michelob Ultra. I feel like the obvious one this time around. I think I said it last time, so I actually will change it up because of the majesty of what he did in Game 1. Devin Booker, first career triple-double, 40, 13, and 11. Um, Frankly, I don't even know if Joy begins to describe the emotion he felt. He even said afterward, he's like, I surprised myself. I don't normally show that much emotion, but uh, very happy out there to secure the win in those situation without his right-hand man and um, just playing like a guy who has been there before in a way that I don't think any of us expected. It is only worth it if you enjoy it, folks, at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Enjoyment is not the end game. It is the whole game. Michael Bolcher reminding you of that. Devin Booker, frankly, reminding you of how much the confidence and joy has to play a part to get it done at the highest level. Again, first career triple-double, 40 points, and a performance none of us will ever forget. That is the Ultra Player of the Week, brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Today's show also brought to you by Credit Karma. My file will load. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. With Credit Karma money, you could win cash reimbursements for any debit purchase. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements just for making a purchase. When you use that Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma reimbursements on items up to five grand. Just pay with that debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot that your Instant Karma cash has been added to your account. It's that easy. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free with no minimum balance, no draft over fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money progress starts here. Right now, visit Credit Karma Money, creditkarma.com, rather, slash win money to open your free account and start winning that instant karma. Again, creditkarma.com, that's karma with a K, slash win money to sign up for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Okay, Sabrina, we are back talking adjustments we could see, but that has to start with Marcus Morris. Ty Lu gave his update today between games one and two. We're recording this, of course, on Monday afternoon. What is the latest there? Does it feel as if he will make an appearance in game two in Phoenix? So just to recap, Marcus started game one and then had to start the third quarter on the bench when he's normally part of the starting lineup. He did come back and play at the end of the third and for the first three minutes of the fourth, but he was not in the closing lineup. And I don't think that's because the Clippers thought they had better options. So he is continuing to experience left knee soreness. That's what Ty Lu said. They said he is uncertain for game two, which doesn't sound great. Um, my guess that even if he does play, he would be severely limited. Um, Markeith is in town, if that makes any difference. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get very good vibes about the Marcus Morris situation. And that that's just a huge, huge downer because... You know, the Clippers have been at their best when they're playing small, but part of the beauty of the Clippers' small lineup is that 
they have these wing forward types who can reasonably masquerade as bigs because they're so physical like Kawhi and Marcus Morris. And when you're already down Kawhi, you really rely on Marcus to fill that big position, even in their small lineups. And that's just a lot harder for him to do when he can't really work with his knee. And you saw his shooting was not great in game one as he was struggling with his knee soreness. He missed all of his three-point attempts. So yeah, uh, the Marcus Morris situation doesn't sound great to me. Again, he did say uncertain, so it's quite possible that he does play and he just wakes up tomorrow feeling better. But I don't like the word uncertain. And like we mentioned earlier, Ty generally sounds very confident and happy all the time, and he didn't sound great when he's talking about Marcus. Yeah, knees seem to be doing the Clippers in right now, and they are just one of those things that, like you said, it it is just a matter of time, I feel like, and that's not something you have in the playoffs. And I guess it's a positive sign, you know, for him and his availability that he was at least able to, like, be on the court in the second half. Mm -hmm. Now, you probably don't want that version of him that was not playing well to be the guy who plays if he is available It's maybe not worth it if that's all you're going to get and you're going to push his knee even further physically. But um, I think generally speaking that the ripple effect there and Ty did confirm that Kawhi Leonard will not play in game two. Not much of a surprise there, but uh, basically official. Um, They had to play super small. They had to play like uncharacteristically small, like you said, even for a team that tends to not have a traditional five in the lineup at times. They were playing just players who physically couldn't even match the Suns' size, who are not very big as a team, you know, generally speaking. So Mm -hmm. I think that's where my mind goes. I don't think Cousins is tenable. They started the second half while Morris was getting treated with Zubats at center. They... Closed the game with Batum, basically, as the biggest guy on the floor. Paul George, sort of the nominal four. And then uh, Rondo out there with the other man and Jackson. That lineup feels not something super trustworthy to me. But where, having watched this team all season, do you imagine that Lou will go both as a potential replacement starter for Morris or, you know, in the biggest moments of the game, closing the game, what lineup do you think we might see? All good questions. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Cousins. I do think that he'll continue to have a role whenever Dario Saric is on the court. I think that matchup worked out quite well for the Clippers. I mean, it they hemorrhage points, but they also score quite easily. And something about DeMarcus Cousins really seems to galvanize the rest of the Clippers. So I do think that so long as Monty Williams is going to play Dario, then DeMarcus will have a role on the other side of the court. I just, just hope- can't keep him out there those minutes when because Ty left him in when Aiton came in and that's exactly. when he got roasted. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the Clippers had built this five point lead or something to that effect in the second quarter. And he tries to stretch him after the timeout when Aiton came back. And you're absolutely right. That's when the tide changed again. So hopefully those cousins lim- minutes are limited to just Dario, which is too bad because I think Zubach would love to play against Dario too. And he just is not allowed to. <laughs> um, but as far as starting lineups go, you can pretty much bank on Reggie, Terrence, Paul George, and Nicholas Batum being in the starter starting lineup. I think if Morris is unavailable to go, they will start Zubac. Um, I just don't think that they can afford to go as small as playing another wing would necessitate. Like maybe they can close with that kind of lineup, but it's just a lot to ask their perimeter players at the very beginning of the game to have to, you know, 
bang against Aiton and play those kinds of minutes if Morris is unavailable for the entirety of the game. So my guess would be that Zubat should be the starter if Morris is completely unavailable to go. Maybe we'll even see some Patrick Patterson thrown in. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that he hasn't shown up at any point during these playoffs, even in garbage time. Uh, he was very much a security blanket of sorts for the Clippers during the regular season. Ty Lue has this joking phrase about him that the coaches call him just add water because he's always ready to go. You just add water. And um, <laughs> let's, the best thing I can say about Patrick Patterson is that his defense is no worse than DeMarcus Cousins. And uh, he also provides some similar offensive volatility because he's a good shooter and he can space the floor and doesn't demand the ball. So he just sort of fits into the system that the Clippers are already running. I would not be surprised if he found some minutes, uh, particularly against the Suns' second units, if the Clippers were facing like an additional depth challenge without Marcus Morris. Um, but I just don't see Zubac or Patterson being able to close, which is why I think that you're just you're going to see another exceptionally small closing lineup for the Clippers with that Batum, George, Mann front court, nominally speaking, and Reggie Jackson and some other guard, whether that's Rondo, whether that's Kennard or Beverly, um, remains to be seen. Uh, I don't think that the Clippers are going to dust off like Amir Coffee or Jay Scrub to play wing minutes. I just don't see it happening. So they're just kind of limited there, right? This is what they have. They're going to need George to play like 40 some minutes. They're going to need Batum to play like 35 plus. I mean, just going to check real quick. He played 37 last game. So he's going to have to meet or exceed that coming up. But yeah, I I just don't really see a way of the Clippers winning without Morris in the lineup. Like they just, they can't afford to be without three of their top eight in the rotation. Right. And players who do, like you said at the very beginning of all of that, the not the same thing, but but play a similar similar role and are so integral to how the Clippers want to play basketball. I mean, I know it's hard to even say Ibaka is part of their identity at all. He's hardly ever played in a Clipper uniform, but that's yeah. the versatility without sacrificing size is exactly what they are, right? And so... Mm-hmm you're now down three of the guys who make that identity happen. You really only have a couple of them left in Batum and George, and Mm -hmm. you're asking them to do a whole lot. There's just not enough bodies. It does start to get a little bit dicey. Um, I want to talk about Paul George actually in the last segment. So why don't we take another quick break and then we can really dive in on some of the adjustments on court that we'll, that we'll see, assuming that we're not getting hundred percent of Morris and Kawhi and frankly, Chris Paul are both going to likely miss this next game. But first, a quick word from betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action. MLB, NBA, NHL, all in full swing. We have tennis, Wimbledon's coming up. We have fights every weekend in boxing and uh, the UFC. And so really, I've been telling you this for a while. It's stretching all the way through the summer. There is no better time in sports, especially if you're a gambler, if you like to put some money on the line. While you watch these events, there's something all of the time. And uh, Bet Online is the place to go. Great at uh, the best news, the best bonuses, the best contest info, all in one place for you. So do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the game as teams prep for their title runs. Head to betonline.ag on the web or on their mobile app. Sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. Again, Promo code locked on when you make your first deposit at betonline.ag to receive a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. 
Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's almost impossible these days to get a straight answer from your local chain auto parts store or to expect them to even have the parts that you need. It's honestly a complete pain. They don't know what you're talking about or they act like they don't. They're just trying to make money off of you. It's literally one of the more frustrating things that I have to do. I'm already dreading I have to go buy a battery for the key fob. I don't think that that's something, unfortunately, that I can find anywhere. I checked Rock Auto. They had it. I'm going to have to go to the dealership to get it installed. I have to just kind of deal with it. It sucks. Rock Auto has you covered for everything, though. They're always going to have that part, and they are always going to keep it cheap. So why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same exact parts that you can find at a chain store when you could go to Rock Auto? You don't need an account. You don't even need a subscription. It is completely hassle-free. Just click into Rock Auto, type your car in, and scroll through their landing page of all the parts that they have available, whether that is a brake part or a tail lamp or something as simple as a new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution for your auto part needs and... When you make your purchase, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Okay, Sabrina, let's close out the show with some more on-the-lineup stuff we were just talking about, and then we can kind of go in whatever direction we'd like. Um, I think more Zubots in general is probably a good... Honestly, a good thing for the Clippers, even if Morris does play or if he had never gotten hurt in the first place, I would have probably come out of game one feeling that way because I just think the not that the Clippers are probably not still at their best when they're small, but I do think that it's not as much of an advantage against this Suns team as it was against Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. So I think in some ways, trying to play a little bit bigger... I mean, Aiton has had an answer for just about every type of thing he's seen in these playoffs, so there's not a perfect solution, but trying to get him to foul, trying to get him to work harder on the glass, having somebody that he has to keep track of in pick and rolls rather than um, you know, basically just being able to patrol the, the interior, um, all of that stuff, I think, is at least worth a longer look. So I, I tend to agree that it'll be Zubots who should start, and I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Clippers were able to find some success. It'll just be on Ty Lue to manipulate that rotation in a way where he's not leaning on one thing too much because I think the Suns have shown that they can kind of solve problems really quickly. So I think you're right. We'll probably see a big assortment of just about, I, I guess it's kind of like D all of the above here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think you're right about Zubac needing to play, mostly just because he's the best one of the Clippers rotation players that is left. Like, with all due respect to Beverly, Kennard, Rondo, Zubac was just a more productive player during the regular season, and at a certain point, you just need to get your best talent out onto the court. And, I mean, having Aiton on the floor gives Zoo a, a reasonable place to hide on defense like they can try to switch one to four and keep Zubac closer to the basket um I do think that there's a a reasonable way to play defense against Booker without completely compromising Zoo and putting him out on an island because that the way Book plays he's just not going to hunt switches the way Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic did that's just not 
the way he operates in the same way. Like those guys were just ruthless in terms of any time Zubach was in the game, like let's call a pick and roll. I'm going to isolate on this guy immediately. Uh, that's not to say that Booker doesn't have that in his arsenal. It's just, it's not his style of play in the same sense. Yeah, so not, it's not how the Suns prefer to play as a exactly. team. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there is a, a way to make Zubach productive. And then that also helps in terms of like the glass where, like you said, they were fairly even on the boards, but you know, the, the first like two or three possessions of the game, DeAndre Ayton's getting offensive rebounds, extending Suns possessions. And those are just so deflating. So um, putting a body on Ayton, you know, making him work a little bit, I I think could honestly be a good strategy for the Clippers. And Sue was successful during the Suns during the regular season. I mean, I know the first regular season game they played, Baca started. So that was the one where the Clippers like went up by 31 and then almost gave it all back. And PG and Book got a little chippy with each other by the end of it. But the last two, um, Zoo was definitely successful against the Suns. So there's a template for this to work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... Like, we saw in game one that uh, Booker was able to win Zubats. Yes, he he's not really going to hunt him in that same Luka Donovan type of way. I think mostly for good. I think not playing that way at least until you have to, is probably ideal for the playoffs. Um, You want to get the easier points by moving the ball and moving your body rather than constantly hunting that from the opening tip. But we also saw that Booker, when Zubats dropped on the pick and roll, was just feasting in the mid-range. And that's something that Booker, it's part of why it's so difficult to guard him, is that he can and wants to make the shots that defenses are designed to give up. And of course, especially so when you have a traditional big man who's dropping into the paint. So why the Clippers were such a difficult matchup when they were healthy is they can switch and really make Booker have to earn it. So um, that brings me to a quick, another quick adjustment. I think that, that the Clippers might, and probably in my opinion should do um, first though, guys today on our road to the finals coverage, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it. If you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Just as we're talking about our our adjustments here, I, but the one I had in mind right there was Patrick Beverly, Sabrina, um, mm-hmm. because I just feel like I know the liabilities that he poses. I know, look, he's not frankly the same player that he used to be. I think all of that is fair, but when you're talking about the sort of desperation level, I just think putting him on Booker for more of the game, especially with Chris Paul not in the lineup. It just seems like something that we probably should see them go more to because you're just starting to run out of people who can defend Booker and understanding that Zubats is going to put you out of liability in the mid-range. I just think you need somebody who's going to make uh, make Booker feel them a little bit more than Man or Rondo were able to in game one. Yeah, I would agree. And I think just also schematically, the way they're defending Booker didn't make that much sense. It, it felt like they kind of just took the Donovan Mitchell playbook and applied it to game one, which again, understandably. So there's not a lot of prep time for this game, but uh, they were just playing him up a little too high, which when there's as much movement within the Phoenix offense in the half court, as there is, there were just way too many options for Booker to like get downhill when they picked him up that high. Or if they brought in that late double, like he was just reading, you know, making the reads really easily and finding one of those Phoenix cutters or finding an open shooter and, to the tune of what was it 11 or 13 assists. I forgot which one was the rebounds, which one was the assists. 11. Yeah. Yeah. 11. And he's just a, 
he's a more complete passer than Mitchell was. So you can't just treat him like a uh, spot up or a, you know, pull up shooter the way that they were guarding Mitchell. And then he's a bigger threat to get downhill now because again, the Clippers are playing a hobbled Donovan Mitchell in the previous round. So those are both things that they had to keep in mind that weren't really taken in, into account with the way they were defending him, like in terms of picking him up so high, it just allowed him to blow by the defender or, you know, find the open man when that secondary defender came. Uh, so I think it's not so much like who defends Booker. It's also what their scheme is. Cause to me, it didn't make a ton of sense. Like he was walking into some of these elbow pull-ups. Like he was, he was just way too comfortable. Like everywhere he wanted to get on the floor was available to him. And I think, game plan wise, the Clippers have to do a better job of stopping that. Yeah, you can't, I think, just let him be as comfortable as he was. I mean, I I, I don't, like you said, it, it's, if you just think about who, you would look at game one and probably say, oh, Terrence Mann is smoke, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's over. It's, but it's probably not that simple. I do still think that Terrence Mann is the right guy to put him to put on Booker and we've seen honestly those are the types of players even dating back to the last regular season matchup between these exact two teams that give Booker trouble man really made him uncomfortable in that game we these these guys who are at least as big as him and strong and play with energy on the defensive end Lou Dort has been a complete pain for him for the past mm-hmm. two seasons um I think Dylan Brooks is another example who held Booker to his worst game of the season on Martin Luther King Day this year. Those types of guys who are just going to make you earn every single inch on the floor are the best ones. So they just need to not only have a player like Mann who's going to be able to do that, maybe a little bit more Paul George when they can afford it, although I know that's asking a ton of 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 this the Clippers superstar. But yeah. <laughs> uh, whether it's you know Beverly or Mann or George, and then to have more help, right? Like they they need to send the help later. I know like they were doing that to, to Donovan like above the um, arc and whatever. And he was trying to combat that by splitting the double team. And that whole dynamic was playing out. But I think your point is perfect, which is that Booker just, this version of Booker versus the, the version of Mitchell that they just got done playing, Booker just doesn't make it as easy on a defense as Mitchell was frankly making it for the Clippers. Yes, he was scoring 30, but it was just... Is he going to pull up or is he going to give the ball up? It really was the, the the dichotomy there, and that's gone. Booker is going to, you know, get to all three levels, and he's he's more comfortable kind of coaxing the defense into bad decisions and making a pass after that than Mitchell is. So I think that's the kind of dynamic we're going to see, but I think you're right that they're going to take from game one and send attention in more of the right ways than they were able to in that game one. Is there anything else though that stands out to you? We've talked a lot about the Clippers sort of wing versatility versus Booker specifically. We talked about eight in a little bit. Are there things aside from that, that stood out to you from game one or that you think could be important the rest of this series? You know, it's interesting to say in a game where the Clippers put up 114 points, but uh, I just thought they didn't make enough shots sometimes. Um, Like, uh, I mentioned this at the top of the show where only three Clippers were in double figures. That was PG, Reggie Jackson, and DeMarcus Cousins. And that's just not going to cut it, you know, for a team as offensively gifted as the Suns. So I do think they need to make PG's life on the court a little bit easier, you know, when he's playing. Just uh, they need to get more ball handling from somewhere else, whether that's Reggie Jackson, who, to be fair, is doing a lot on his own as well. But like, 
I think we're going to see more Luke Kennard, even though he was pretty flammable against book. Um, they just need someone else to be able to run point guard things. And like, if Rondo is, you know, getting roasted by Booker anyway, might as well try someone who provides a semblance of spacing on the offensive end. Um, I mean, I don't think that this is like the series where they bust out Yogi Ferrell because that just (laughs) is an insane idea. But There's been a lot of rudeness to Yogi Ferrell. I've heard multiple people say, did you even know he was on the Clippers? And while I was not one of the people who knew that, I also just feel disrespect on behalf of Yogi. That's that's very rude. But no, I don't think I don't think we'll see the reemergence there. But I think you're right, because I think you have to kind of go into some of this, assuming that you might end up needing to play at least with the guys that are currently out. You're probably going to need to focus more on offense to just mm-hmm. keep pace with the Suns rather than thinking, you know, we're going to come up with some five-man unit that's going to shut down this offense that, frankly, nobody has solved for eight straight games. So I don't think you're wrong in thinking, and I know that kind of goes against what I said about Beverly, but I think in general the Rondo-Beverly thing should be a little more even. Rondo playing seven full more minutes than Beverly seems off to me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I agree. We probably will see more of Luke Kennard. I think it's been one of the stories of the Clippers season how puzzling it is that he plays so little but I do think at the same time the Suns if they do decide to get aggressive hunting mismatches like we saw them do against Michael Porter Jr. for instance Mm -hmm. he will be candidate number one and that can cost you some points that you can't afford to give up in a playoff game so I do get the hesitancy but you just need that offense right now the one last thing I would say though and it does go back to Aiton in some ways the question I asked Monty during his availability today was um you know we didn't see Aiton even though he can do it and it's one of the things that makes him such an interesting and special player is he didn't have to defend on the perimeter much at all they did not really first of all I don't think the Clippers did a good enough job having his man be the screener and making the the Suns have to make that decision but also the Suns did a good job of rotating in such a way that even if his man ended up with the ball it didn't have to be him contesting right so he wasn't running out to go um, close out on a Nicholas Batum who's going to then, you know, pump fake and drive and get to the basket with nobody there anymore. They were really smart about how they made that work. I think that it would be smart of the Clippers on the other side to make them, you know, uncomfortable with that game plan, like include Nicholas Batum as a screener. Um, but better ball movement. I said in my post game thing, the Clippers, I know that they're more of an ISO team, but only 23 assists is is just low. If they can get that number a few higher and, and get some more threes, I mean, Batum and Morris were one of nine from deep. Just make make eight and have to move a little bit more like they were doing to go bare. And I know that's easier said than done because um, Aiton's just better at doing that. But I, I do think that's one thing that, again, to your point on the game planning, the lack of time that the Clippers had, I, I just can't help but think they're going to see how easy life was for Aiton and try to exploit that. It's funny that we're talking about the Clippers getting more threes when they made 20 in game one. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It, it really and, made, and like attempted that. almost 50. Like, I, yeah. I agree with you uh, in terms of just the the feel from watching the game. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned that they didn't involve Aiden at all um, defensively at the start of the game. It seemed like they made a targeted effort to go after Booker on defense. Like, yeah. every action they did was with the attempt of getting him involved. And it didn't work out that well. Um, I know... Booker doesn't have a defensive reputation at all, but I was pretty impressed by his ability to compete on that end of the floor. Yeah, I think the game plans haven't caught up. 
I think he's not that guy anymore. Like, is he great? No, but he's not the type of guy where you, you, LeBron is going to come ask for him every, every time. And they didn't, even the Lakers didn't do that. And they're the most mismatch hunting team there is. So yeah, I I think you're right. That's not going to work. Yeah. And it it definitely seemed like that was a point of emphasis for the Clippers at the start of the game, because Booker was involved, I would say on seven of the first eight possessions. So there was, there was a lot of Booker going on. I think their efforts would be better spent on DeAndre Ayton because like they didn't even tire book out right like he played 44 minutes he played the entire second half uh Paul George could have played the entire second half we might have been talking about a different outcome for game one Uh, but yeah I I do think that's an interesting adjustment to just try to force Ayton out onto the perimeter because like what I mean obviously they're not gonna be able to do to Ayton what they did to Rudy Gobert in terms of his offensive utility but there's no reason why man can't get like a series of wide open three pointers. If the Clippers play their cards right against this defense. Yeah. I think that's, that's a part of why I feel like uh, all of these things are part of why I think this series is far from over. I, I get Suns fans being very optimistic, but I do think this level of competition in the Clippers is a little bit different. I still feel relatively optimistic that the Clippers will be competitive even without Morris. I know I hear you, but I just think there's ways the Clippers can exploit this matchup um, that are unique to them and that we didn't really see them go full bore into doing. So you're probably right that it's a long shot for them to win if Morris does not play. But I also, maybe it's just me hoping the Suns don't don't underestimate this thing. Um, But Sabrina, thank you for joining me. Are there any stories you want to plug? People can find you at SB Nation. Um, anything on this series that might be going up or podcasts to listen to what you got for us? Um, I would just say, you know, tune into clipstation.com for everything that you could possibly want on this playoff series. Uh, nothing in particular, just, uh, I'm actually trying to attempt to answer the, what the Clippers do in the non Paul George minutes question right now. So that should be coming up pretty soon. (laughs) All right, folks, enjoy your Tuesday, enjoy game two and keep it right here after the buzzer for a recap show for whatever happens in game two.